Why should we fully embrace the joys of being a B-minus teacher? Today in the show, I speak with the awesome Patty Firth, founder, CEO, and owner of Madly Learning. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. I found my new friend, Patty Firth, like I meet pretty much any new human in my life these days through the wonderful world of Teachergram, or Teacher Instagram, if you prefer. Patty started out as a leading Canadian voice in the world of inquiry education blogging, but she's expanded to hosting a podcast, creating beautiful and effective curriculum resources, sharing strategies through her YouTube channel, and she does this all while teaching a grade 4-5 split here in Southern Ontario. It's pretty darn impressive. In this conversation, we cover a lot of ground. We talk about how Patty turned her passion supporting teachers into what Madly Learning is today. We talk about how she embraces not even being a B minus teacher, but often just a C plus teacher. And we also get into some real talk about what teachers should consider before putting themselves out there in the world of Teachergram. Stick around until the end to hear Patty's take on why we should stop teaching writing in discrete units. Her thinking is so powerful on this one, you've got to stick around until the end. Patty is a deeply relatable, relevant, and important voice in the world of Canadian education. So let's get right into it. And here's my conversation with Patty Firth. Patty Firth, I'm so excited to get to talk to you today. Welcome to Teaching Tomorrow. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to get to chat all about teaching and everything with you. It's my favorite thing to do. I've been following you on the socials for a little while now, so it's great to get to talk to you in real time and ask you a thousand questions. I want to like, you have so many things going on, which is incredible. And I want to really talk to you about you as a teacher on the internet. So that's kind of like where I'm going to take this conversation. You had started blogging really early as a teacher, and now you have a podcast. You've got a ton of curriculum resources. You do Mm -hmm. Facebook Live events. You have a whole YouTube channel. You're also a parent, and you're also a teacher. It's not like this is your whole thing. I kind of think you're like the Alexander Hamilton of education. You just are constantly like doing, which is amazing. What does it mean to you, Patty, to support other teachers, especially now in this chapter of education? Um, I think for me, it's my biggest motivator for sure. It kind of started after I had my first daughter, you lose a bit of your identity and like you become like mom and that's Mm -hmm. all you are. And I remember feeling like my brain was melting and this was like pre Facebook groups. Like, so like, that's, that's a, that's a while ago. Right. Um, so there was really no like connection. There was no ability to sort of connect. And I found a teacher community online that was basically us teachers. And while I resonated with some of the things they said, it was like missing a Canadian voice. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. there was like one person, Jen Rund was like the only person that had like a consistent Canadian blogging voice. I was like, I'm just going to start talking to people online because Mm -hmm. I need a community and I need to know that there's like other people out there that are like struggling with the same thing that I'm struggling with, that they need to sort of like have that connection that is someone I can talk to about the profession. I also didn't really have like 
co-teachers because I was in a really tiny school at the time or and they, all my other co-teachers spoke French so I was like the only little English English teacher like at my grade level so it was a, felt really isolated mm-hmm. so the fact that there is a community that there is a forum that means that we can support one another that we're not reliant on our tiny little um bubble that we can connect with other teachers that we can support one another for me i was like that's what i needed and that's what i hope to be able to do i love talking about education i could talk about education all day long so the fact that there's like facebook groups of other people teaching like my grade that we can like brainstorm and like talk Mm. teaching. I like that lights me up. So the fact that I can be in this space and create this space and have a forum and a place for people to come and talk about their problems, the ability to a teacher who's completely stressed out and overwhelmed and doesn't know what to do. And they've got, you know, babies at home and they're like, I just don't have the time. The fact that something that I have created gets to impact what they're doing, make them feel like a better teacher, make them feel like a more competent teacher, not like a failure, because we are so hard on ourselves as teachers. So the fact that I play any type of role or have an impact in there probably is my biggest factor because I don't want others to feel that way. So if I can help and support people to not feel that then like that's golden i'm i'm happy to do that so that's kind of where that motivation comes from for me oh, i love that and it sounds so clear that what you get out of it is so much greater than the time and the effort you put into creating all of these resources that it's really about giving back to the community and finding your fellow teacher nerds to like you know talk yeah. to and connect with yeah And it definitely justifies for me, I'm the crazy nut that was in a PD session and like somebody would hand you out like, here, try this worksheet. I'm like, it doesn't really look pretty. (laughs) So I'm the crazy nut that would be like, "Um, all of my papers need to match. Like I want consistent things. So I would be making things all the time and it would drive my husband crazy. So Mm -hmm. he's he's not driven crazy anymore. Now he's like fully supportive of me (laughs) being the crazy nut job that needs to create pretty things and pretty worksheets because it makes me happy. So the fact that I can justify the amount of time I spend by, you know, there is some financial gain back for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think if it's not, it's that's not enough for me. It's the impact, the messages yeah. the teachers are sending saying like, I, you don't understand how much this saved me, how much yeah. my mental energy you gave back to me how much more time I've got to spend with my kids because Mm -hmm. I didn't have to plan because we're not given resources anymore we're not given textbooks or anything so like either you do it yourself or somebody else does it for you and you buy it so yeah yeah if I can have that little role like that's that's it for me that's the that's the reason we're here yeah that's it when you, I've listened to you in a few interviews now, and in one of them you said that you didn't want to repeat your first year as a teacher, that it was just such, I mean, and I think like this is like deeply relatable to many people listening, just like, you know, many of us, it's just like hell on wheels. 
How do you feel like your identity has shifted as a teacher? Because while you're creating all this content, you're also in the classroom. So how has Patty changed as a teacher since first year to now? Um, I think the first year there was definitely, there's a bit of ego. <laughs> I will be honest, there's a bit of ego that was like, I come in and I was like, I had, I had worked as a child and youth worker. Like that was my background before approaching education. So I had been in section 20 schools with like the highest needs behavior kids. And I was like, I've got this, like, give me your, you know, give me your behavior kids. Like I had a little bit of this savior complex that I was going to be able to go in and like, I knew how to manage behavior. Um, it totally rocked my world my first year, it was because I know how to manage behavior, but I didn't necessarily know how to manage behavior at the same time as delivering curriculum. <laughs> so like that is a different ball game altogether. I didn't really have a very supportive principal. Um, I'll just leave it there. Um, I had a great staff that was like super close and tight knit and really supportive. So that helped. But I just, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I didn't know where to get resources. I had, there were, there were some specialist teachers that would come in and it was very much like, this is the only way you can do something. And this is the right way to do it. And if you're not doing it this way, it's the wrong way. And I had to really reconcile for myself as to who I was as a teacher, what my style was. And I didn't know what my style was. I didn't know what worked for me. And I didn't know that you had permission to kind of take the things that you were told and like make it fit who you were mm. and like reinterpret it. So I think the biggest thing for me that changes, number one, I had to get kind of humble and realize <laughs> I didn't know everything um, and that I was allowed to suck. I was allowed to be not a bad, I was allowed to be a bad teacher um, some days, some days I could be a great teacher, but other days I could be a bad teacher and it wasn't, I wasn't going to like be fired or I wasn't like, you yeah. know, the pressure you put on, like, if I don't fix this kid they're you know, I'm going to damage them for the rest of their life. Like thinking I had a lot more power and control in these situations than I actually did. Um, so I had to get a little bit humble and I also had to get realistic with what my time was worth. And I had to be efficient. Um, I had to, I've had to realize in the last 15 years, I can't save every kid. I can't give 24 seven to this job that I have to, I have to decide when enough is enough. I listened to a really important business podcast that really kind of helped shift my mind and saying, I always pushed myself to be the A plus teacher. I wanted to be the best teacher ever. I wanted to be like the movie teacher where I'm like, I'm turning kids like, you know, freedom. Is it freedom writers? That movie? Oh my God, totally. Yes. With Hillary. I wanted, that's who I yes. wanted to be. I wanted to be that person. And I was like, but that's not realistic. It's, it's not realistic. So the business podcast was talking about like you as in a, in a business, and they mentioned that like being a B minus business owner was fine. And the fact no one would notice, no one's going to notice because the only pe person that's putting pressure on yourself to be that A plus teacher is you. 
And people will still look at you if you're aiming for a B minus, people still look at you and think you're an A. Or they don't care. Or they don't care if you're a B plus because we're the only ones kind of rating ourselves. No one is looking at other people's classrooms and being like, that could be better over here. That could be here. Oh, you could do this differently. No one cares like that. No one cares. No one cares. And people still, I have been successfully aiming for a C plus (laughs) for the last couple years and absolutely no one has noticed. And if I asked people, they're still like, oh my God, you're doing like, look at all the amazing things you're doing. And I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) in my brain, I'm like, that's a C plus. Like I could, I could have done this. Mm -hmm. And I think that measuring stick that we say, well, there's so much more we could have done. There's there's never an end to that. So yeah. even though I'm still, I'm not saying I'm going to do a C plus and I'm just going to like call it in. <laughs> no, but it's way. accepting what your limitations are and it's accepting yeah. what you can put in now. And I, like, you know, having kids was a huge game changer for me too in that regard. Like once I actually mm-hmm. had children, it was like, oh yeah, I don't need to, give as much to other people's children because I have it by my own child and I have to go home and take care of him right now. And so I had to stop and it was so refreshing. Who were you as a student? Because I can hear so much of myself in that. Like, were you, you know, little Patty as a student, like just crushing it and doing everything to be on top of all the things or were you, yeah, you're shaking your head. Say more there. (laughs) No, um, no, I was not. Um, (laughs) I, I was, I guess the expectation or the, the often the expectation of little girls is that they're quiet and they do what they're told. At least when I was in school, uh, we still had very strong gender norms, um, especially in Catholic school. Um, so I, I didn't fit that. I was loud. I was opinionated. I mean, was, I still am. Um, so I was loud. I was opinionated. I was stubborn. I didn't fit the mold. Um, so I wasn't often rewarded for, and not like, you know, like social, socially rewarded in the education system. Um, I was successfully was a B, B minus student. Um, I had to work really, really hard to get that B minus, um, I so wish as a student that we were taught the way we teach now. Mm-hmm. Um, that shapes, I think, everything I do. Like, I math, like the standard algorithm, if, like, I was like, why? Why is it working? Why is it happening? Like, if somebody had taught me to do partial products or somebody had taught me, like, how decomposing numbers works, I would have done so much better in math and been more confident. Like, I failed... I failed a class in high school. Like Mm -hmm. I had to push myself to get B's. And it wasn't until college and university where I was like, oh, I can get A's? Oh, that's kind of cool. Like college (laughs) and university is where I I excelled. I think it was because I was finally taking courses where I was expected to be loud and opinionated (laughs) they value loud and opinionated voices I think more at college university than they do in an elementary classroom at least they did um so it was totally fine that I was loud and opinionated that was that was rewarded so I I did okay there
It's so, it's interesting to know too how our student selves impact our teacher selves. Cause there's been so many times where, you know, I've been caught as a teacher and thinking, oh, right. That's like Celeste is a student speaking here right now. But when we're conscious of like how we were as young people and how that shows up today, we're actually able to create a better classroom for all of our students and all of the different versions of us. I love hearing that story. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking about you now as a, I want to say an internet celebrity. I don't know if you would hold that title for yourself, but like, you know, you've got a presence online and yeah. I'm sure your students and your families could Google you and find you. There's like a whole plethora of considerations that as professionals, we have to make when we're showing up in these spaces. And, you know, I know some schools say to teachers don't have any kind of public online presence and, you know, there's merits to that. And there's also some concerns about that. What would you say to a teacher who wanted to maybe step into that space or to share or to blog or to go on to, you know, teachergram, but is feeling, you know, a little bit unsure about putting themselves out there? What kinds of words of wisdom do you want to share to that teacher? Um, the first thing I would say is have boundaries. Know from the beginning what you're willing to share and what you're not willing to share. So I don't share from inside my classroom with students in it. I won't share their names. Um, I won't share, generally I won't share their work products if it's identifiable or in any way critical. If it's celebrating something like they did something really cool, then um, I will perhaps celebrate that or share like, look what they did. Or I might share like a tidbit of information, but um, I don't identify my school, I try not to identify my board. I mean, that's easily found. It's not hard to figure out what board I'm with. But, um, and then I try um, to really focus it on being my experience as a teacher. And, and not in a way I'm not going to share things like um, something a kid did that frustrated me or in any way that could lead to say the shame of a child. I mean, that sounds pretty like extreme, but, no, um, but it's important to name that. Yeah. I don't want, I guess I kind of look at it and say, okay, if somebody were with the exception of maybe like my co-teacher who's like in the thick of it in my classroom with so when he watches stuff he's like I know exactly what you're talking about um but other than him who's like not in our classroom I wouldn't necessarily want anyone else to know um who they are or who specifically I'm talking about so I do try to keep boundaries there um I don't share my kids very often um there is a thing that happens in social media where you start and you start sharing your kids and it's fine because you don't have a ton of followers so you don't there's not a lot of attention when you start gaining a bit of traction you also start gaining traction with the wrong people so we noticed uh, my husband and I who helps manage a lot of the social media or did at the beginning we would notice if I did post a picture of our kids that there would be some people that would come in and we would just see them liking just the photos of our kids. Oh, and that weirded us, that weirded us out. So there are times where I will share my children. I've, I've worked with my daughter before to model like a guided reading lesson or to model something she has written. I will share her work. I'm fine with that. Um, but I do try to be really cautious 
about how I share and what I share um, because that's their digital footprint. So uh, there's certain things about certain parts of my life I don't share. I sh my, my social media accounts are about my experience as a teacher. So sometimes my role as a mom or my role as a wife uh, come into play there, but you're probably not gonna see me um, be real specific if you know, my husband and I had a fight, like that's not going on my social media. Um, so we do have boundaries. I do have rules that I set for myself. And I think it's important too, in the days of social media where we're constantly sharing is that there needs to be a part of you that's not on social media. So there needs to be aspects of your life that are not. Uh, for me, social media is part of my business. We, we use it to help and support our community of teachers that are using our resources. We use it to share about our resources. We use it to support um, others and just, you know, give people some lighthearted, you know, tips and ideas of things that might work. But uh, yeah, that's, it's, I, I definitely, I don't, under, sometimes I don't understand if you're like, I get like looking at stuff, but I don't know if what's the purpose I always am like what is the purpose of social media if the purpose of social media and I say this to my students too if your purpose of going on social media is to get famous it's not worth it so like say more say more about that um there's when you when you share when you share a lot of who you are you also sometimes welcome certain judgments or there's a point where like you've feel like you're chasing, chasing the thing. I don't know. I want to say dragon, but that doesn't make any sense, which sometimes happens, but like you're chasing this, like once you start getting momentum, you start feeling obligated that you have to start sharing. You have to start putting content out there. You have to constantly be serving this machine, new content and new stuff. And that sometimes feels um, overwhelming. And if you, cause you can't turn social media off. So you, there, you almost have to artificially make boundaries for yourself as to what is going to be allowed, what isn't going to be allowed um, and where you draw the line. So for me, I am not in my social media inbox very often. I am not the first person that sees the messages I have a social media manager and my husband and my husband took on that role very quickly of he took that off of my plate because if people were judgmental or people were that, then that would affect me. So I have to create boundaries. So often I'm not in the DMS unless somebody tells me to go check them. Um, and that helps to protect myself. And there's, there's a, there's a point I think in which you cross um, into social media where you definitely have to know why you're there, what your purpose is, what, what you're doing, what your goal is, and where your boundaries are with social media. Otherwise, that's why we have like social media influencers taking like a month off and they post like, you know, the white box of like, I'm taking a break because it can be overwhelming. So yeah. um, it's fun to start. It's fun to start. And it's, it sounds like glamorous like I know my students are always like I'm gonna be a social media influencer <laughs> like, uh, yeah I like you just have to protect you have to kind of protect yourself would I do it again 
Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. Like, well, and it's finding community and it's finding yeah. other people, but you have, like you're saying, like you have to be intentional and have boundaries and know what you're going in there for. It's like going traveling. Like you just, you don't, you don't go on a trip without getting your proper vaccines and packing your bag and looking at the itinerary, like being intentional. Yeah, absolutely. There's, it's fun. It's totally worth it. If you are somebody that wants to put yourself out there, it's, it's so fun. And it's so awesome to connect with people. Like I have friends from all over North America that I never, ever would have met without social media. And that is amazing to me. So is it, do those outweigh the benefits? Yeah. Or the consequences? Yeah. Those benefits do outweigh the consequences. But if I didn't create boundaries for myself and I didn't, I wasn't very clear about what my purpose was while being on social media, then it's very easy to burn out. And I think you have to really watch the, the social media burnout. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because even hearing you say that, it sounds a lot like even just stepping into the classroom, like you can't share everything about your life with your students. That's not okay. But should you share some of your life with your students? Yes, you should. Like that helps them know you as a human being. Should you know your reason for getting into that role as a teacher? Yes. That's going to stop you from like taking on white savior stuff. And like, Uh there's so many pieces where you know, if you go into that space with intentionality, there's lots that can come back for you. Absolutely. Great wisdom. Yeah. Um, I'm obsessed with everything you're saying right now about writing (laughs) units. Can you just like, before we go to the ticket out the door and do our silly rapid fire, explain to everyone why we should stop teaching writing in discrete units. Because writing that way isn't authentic. I think that's my easy answer. Yeah. Um, but we all do it, like because it's so easy to organize, and we're like, "Oh, I need this unit to be done by report card." So, you know, talk to me about that complexity of what's good versus what's best. I guess I look at it and go, "Who who are we doing it for?" Um, our, when we're teaching writing in units, we're doing that for our convenience because we're checking off curriculum. And we're, we're just, we're going through the motions because somebody somewhere, there was some consultant, I know we've had it with our board, they send out a PDF and they're like, here are the writing forms, thou shalt teach in this grade. And it's like, you dig through the curriculum and you're like, but writing forms is one expectation. And it, and the only mention of writing forms is in the teacher guide, which is not curriculum Mm -hmm. it's suggestions um and i think for for me it was very much i was tired of having kids grown every time i was like okay guys it's time to write i was just tired of them hating it um and i and again going back to like our experience as a student i never read a book i was assigned talk about stubborn um for sure i passed my entire lord of the flies uh, test because I was just really good at figuring out what happened based on our class discussions. Yeah. So I get it. I got that student. I understood it. I was faced with a group of grade five boys that wrote zero things in grade four. They hated it. The, it was 75% boys. They were huge behaviors. Um, and I needed to do something different. So I did some research and learned more about writing and was doing some AQs and was like, wait a minute, why, why are we forcing kids to write what I want them to write? 
what if I stopped? What if I just said, I actually don't care what you write and you just write something, what you're interested in, do what works because I can't teach you how to be a better speller if you don't write a sentence. I can't teach you how to write a story if you don't have a story to write. Um, if you don't have something to say, most of my kids were obsessed with video games and sports, but as a female teacher who had, knows nothing about video games, um, I would never have assigned a story based on video game characters. And then I had to reflect on my role currently as a writer. I write a lot for the programs I create, for the resources I make. I write a lot. And I'm also not a great speller and I'm not good at grammar but I'm a good writer. Yeah. And so many kids tie the ability to spell and the ability to put the proper punctuation in the right spot as being the indicator of being a good writer. Or it coming and, quickly or it coming fast, like being yeah. able to write something succinctly quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Or it, it making sense the first time you write it mm -hmm. or like that, that the goal should be on grammar and spelling and not on ideas or that, I have, I can only write if I write in a box. And my thought is what if we break apart the box, we get them to write and then they build the box around it afterwards. Yeah. And we realize that, oh, do you realize what you just did when you decided to write a story about a cat with a flying toilet who investigates space and solves <laughs> things by eating cheese? Do you understand what kind of story you created and how amazing that is that your voice is coming out, that you have put your wacky personality into a story about crazy cat toilets? Like <laughs> I would never, ever assign that to students, but that's what I've had written for yeah. me. I have a student right now who's obsessed with horror films. So she's like, can, can, can I write horror stories? And I was like, yeah, my only rule is don't actually murder real people. <laughs> like, that's the only rule. That's the only rule. Don't, don't. I said, cause, and I said, you can do it. I said, I, you just have to know that like, if you make a threat in your writing that you're going to kill another student, like I actually have to do something about that. <laughs> like, I, can't, yeah. I can't ignore that. Um, but I found, and, and with the boys that came into my class that said, like, I refuse to write. I hate everything about writing. By March, they were writing and writing awesome things. And it was never something that I would ever, ever have had them write. I learned more about Five Nights at Freddy's. I had a student write me a report on how wooden spoons are made like crazy. Like these are the things inside their head and they all have so much to say. And we just, if we deconstruct the rules of how we've all been taught that writing should be taught because it's not backed by research because the research doesn't support that. That's how you teach writing. Um, that if we break the rules and we just say to kids, I want you to take a book and I want you to take a pencil and I want you to write. And I don't care if every single word is spelled wrong. I don't care if there is zero punctuation. The only thing I need it to be is comprehensible. I need it to be in some form of English that I can understand. And I will let you know that I can understand some pretty bad English. So um, I don't care what it looks like. I just want your ideas. And the only thing I'm looking at is ideas. And if it is illogical, if it doesn't make sense, that's fixable. If it has bad spelling and bad grammar, that's fixable. 
And JK Rowling did not write her draft of Harry Potter with zero errors. We have entire professions that are dedicated to editing people's work. <laughs> yeah. And like, we don't give Pulitzer Prize to Pulitzer Prizes to authors who submit drafts with good editing. <laughs> like, yeah. We give them to authors because they have amazing ideas and their stories evoke feeling and all of that thing. So, and then at the very root of it, especially here in Ontario, and it's actually the same across the provinces, across the country, the main focus of the curriculum expectations have nothing to do with writing forms yeah, and have everything to do with the writing process. Yet for so many teachers, they teach writing pros or writing forms first and then try to fit the writing process in as this very mechanical um regimented way first yeah. we must draft then we must and i mean even that i have kids that don't want to write a planner they just want stream of consciousness craziness and they just want to go and then they want to back out and start going, okay, what was the problem? What was the solution? Okay, how can I fix it and make it make more sense? And what can I take away? And I don't, I get much more creativity this yeah. way. And I've taught, I've taught, I've taught without units. Well, the kids that I first started with are now graduating high school. Oh, yay. So, um, <laughs> that first group of kids are now graduating high school. So that's as long. And it's, it's taken a lot of iterations for me to figure it out. I've used a lot of my students sort of as like, yeah. can you what works, what doesn't work. yeah. Yeah. Test yeah. subjects for that. Um, I mean, now most of my time is dismantling. I spent almost the first half of my year dismantling their preconceptions of what it means to be a writer. Yes. Yes. And then I'm so, this is the most exciting part. The the moment from February to about April, when they actually start to lean in to the idea that they can write and that I really don't care what they write about that I can, I mean, I, I say to them, I'm like, I can pull a mark out of anything you write. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter to me what mm -hmm. you write. I can mark whatever you put out. Yeah. So I, I mean, I try to push them into like, I want some, I want some fiction. I want some nonfiction, like try these different general umbrella things, mm -hmm. but I don't say like, I want you to write a specific adventure story where the conflict is this. And then the kids are like, that's not in my head. I don't yeah. know what to do. So it just means I get better writers. I get more confident writers. I get, I get kids who tell me, for instance, you know, two weeks ago, a kid that's like, you know what? I don't hate language arts as much as I did in September. Oh, the best comment ever. Right. Yeah. When I say it's time to write and they go, okay. And then when it's time to stop, they're like, can I just finish this last sentence? <laughs> then I'm good. I'm, yes. you know what? I've done my job and there's a lot to do. There's a lot to break down and rip apart and deconstruct with their ideas about writing and language arts. But um, I don't think I'd ever go back. I still teach form though. Like, yeah. like so, I mean, you don't teach form. And I was like, no, I still teach them how to write through yeah. modeled and shared writing and like we talk about form we talk about the different things but I just I introduce it kind of all throughout the year and just sprinkle it in here and there and then allow that independent time to be experimentation where they can experiment with writing and just fall in love with it because they have so much to say and it really comes out because you identify as a writer and that 
not only do I identify, but you actually have a writing practice. You are writing, you are crafting, you are using words. And I think that comfort to play around with, you know, the quote unquote rule book, which there are no curriculum police in Ontario. Like no one's coming to a room and being like, did you teach this expectation? Like it's a broad kind of look at, are you being responsible to this document? But there's so many ways to interpret it. And I think we get really stuck in these silos if we don't feel comfortable as writers ourselves. So I think that's a huge testament to how you identify as a teacher. Yeah. And I mean, I will say if just, if you were my editor, (laughs) (laughs) my poor editors um, have had to get used to it. I've had friends that are amazing at grammar and spelling and they look at it and they're like, how can you write? with zero punctuation I can I spelt the word sure with an h for five years like but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it does not it means I'm bad at spelling and grammar it doesn't mean I'm a bad writer there are tools for those things that we can use that help us as writers yeah so let's transition to the ticket out the door silly questions to which you cannot prepare something you are grateful for right now um my health First thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Uh, try to go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing you do before you go to bed? Um, I'm probably playing a game on my phone, like something boring, like a word game or Sudoku. Wordle? What are you doing? What uh, game are you playing? I play Wordle with, I play Wordle with um, my students. Oh, fun. I love that. Yeah. yeah. What's the most recent <laughs> TV show you binged and loved? Uh, we're watching Vikings right now. Mm. It's super violent. I don't know. There, I I have some problems with it, but I'm also still a little hooked on it. So yeah. Yeah. Vikings. Pie or cake? Cake. Beach or mountains? Beach. Spring or fall? Oh, spring. What would be your last meal on earth? Um, chocolate something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Chocolate and wine. Can I have wine too? Chocolate and red wine. It's a meal. Yes. Who are your three dream podcast guests? Oh, Joe Bowler for Matt. Yeah. I would love to pick her brain for Matt. Um, Our minister of education. I would like to ask him questions. Yes, please. Um, that would not be a very happy interview, but I would no. love to pick his brain yeah. on what uh, what he is thinking. <laughs> um, I actually, you know what? The third one is going to sound weird, but I would love to interview my former students. Hmm. You should do that. I should. That yeah. would be weird for me, but I, I'd actually like to because I know I did some things differently. So I'm always curious, right? Like kind of the, I don't know, it was weird to call me a scientist, but the, maybe the scientist in me would like to know, you know, did that, did that change your view of yourself as a writer? Or, you know, did, did inquiry give you anything? Like, did you, did you take that into, is there anything that I taught you that had an impact? Like I, we never get to know that as teachers. Yeah. yeah. So I know that in fact, I taught them multiplication songs. I've seen a few of them at like the coffee shop and they were like, I still remember the multiplication songs you taught me. And I was like, okay, cool. (laughs) Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. I don't know. I think I, and I think I'd like to know kind of where they are and how, yeah, I don't know. That's a great idea. 
Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, interesting. Do that. To I will like... listen. I will listen to that. I've listened to all those episodes, but that one would be really special, I think. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. Okay, the last question. You can come at it with whatever angle you want. What is the future of learning? I hope the future of I hope the future of learning is positive, where we support teachers more. Hmm. Um, where we support them, whether it's giving them the resources they need to teach the kids in their classes. So like EA support, spec ed support, the tools that they need. I really wish that the future of education was driven by teachers. And I think so much, there's such an underground swell of supporting teachers. And I mean, my role, I get to see sort of how teachers support teachers in the absence of the system that we work for. Um, I would really like to see the education system flipped where we start respecting the professionalism of teachers and we start actually taking account of their voices in policy. Mm -hmm. um, I would like that. I don't, I don't know if that would ever happen, but I think, I think we have to decide that we are highly educated professionals. And I think that if we, um, if we start making policy in mind with what actually is happening in the classroom and not just always on our bottom line, mm -hmm. like we can't spend a fortune, but um, I think that would, that would improve education. I worry too that we become the United States in education. And I think that it's not good right now. Um, public education is not good. And I think we need to support our unions and support um, us as a profession to really push back on that because I think there is a groundswell of people that think that that's perfectly okay. And I think we all know it's not. So I think we have to like support each other and like hold yeah. firm on making and protecting, protecting public education and how it is because um, it's so important. So I think, yeah. I think we have, we have some work to do. I think. Mm. Those are powerful words to end on. Thank you yeah. so much for coming on and chatting. It was such a pleasure to get to know you a little better, Patty. Thanks for having me. You can follow Patty on Instagram at madlylearning. That's all one word to get access to her fantastic resources and perspective in the world of education. If you're listening on your phone right now, do me a favor and take a screenshot of the podcast playing on whatever app you're on post it on Instagram, and tag Patty and me to share your thoughts on this episode. We are actual real people, and hearing your thoughts on this interview helps us build this online community of caring, hopeful, and inspiring B-minus teachers. On Instagram, you can find me at teaching underscore tomorrow. Come on over, say hi, and like, let's be internet friends. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep on madly learning, and remember, we are teaching tomorrow.